against all odds. You're on the road with me, Chuck Kramer, Mr. California Wine. And I live in London selling cases of really good California wine across Europe for the Tolado family. And this podcast is about California, my home state, and its awesome wines. Every week, I interview a guest who works in the wine business, including this week's guest who owns the best Tex-Mex restaurant in London, in my hood, Chiswick. Each week, we'll have some fun and ultimately improve your boozing. Against all odds, I find myself back yet again in the 1980s, on the road down memory lane. My kids actually think I'm stuck in the 1970s and 80s based upon my Spotify playlist. And maybe I am, but the music is so damn good. And back in 1984, Against All Odds was released in the movie theaters, starring Jeff Bridges and Rachel Ward. Now, this movie has nothing to do with this week's podcast, other than the fact that this week's guest successfully opened the hottest Tex-Mex restaurant in London during lockdown one, Against All Odds. A quick word from the buyer. Thebuyer.net is your connection to the premium on-trade. Thebuyer.net is your on-trade platform, linking key industry leaders, influencers, producers, and suppliers in order to improve reach and awareness in the UK hospitality sector. Before I jump into my interview, let's talk Tex-Mex. Now, I've never lived in Texas. But I did grow up in L.A. on the east side, which offers up some of the best Tex-Mex and Mexican food in the United States. And my favorite spot in East L.A. is JNS on Garfield Avenue in Montebello. Fifty years on, JNS is still going strong. Their hard shell tacos are unbelievably good. And I've traveled across our amazing southwestern states, California, Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas do offer up the best Mexican and Tex-Mex cuisine outside of Mexico. Back in episode five, when I interviewed Nacho Campos, head sommelier at Hawksmoor Guildhall, I called out Mexican or Tex-Mex as my all-time favorite food. So what's the biggest difference, you ask, between Mexican and Tex-Mex food? It's the cheese, dude. It's the cheese. In the States, we put yellow cheese on everything. Tacos, quesadillas, nachos, and burgers. In Mexico, where I spent most of the 1990s working, you won't find cheese on tacos, let alone there's no such thing as an enchilada or burrito. Now, some people may think as a downgraded version of Mexican food, and it's definitely not. It's just not so. Tex-Mex has a history of deep roots in Spanish and Native American culture. Now, thousands of years before the first Europeans arrived in the early 1500s, Native Americans lived in now what we know as Texas. And up until 1845, before Texas became part of the United States, Texas was governed by Mexico. Naturally, back then, cultural lines were blurred and culinary recipes were combined, they were exchanged. Fast forward 60 to 70 years to the early 1900s, Mexicans living in Texas were called Tejanos. And locals who ate at their establishments eventually labeled their style of cooking Tex-Mex. Pretty cool story, huh? Now, 
I'm starving, and it's time to get back on the road. My guest this week serves up killer soft shell tacos, and I have to tell you that I was super excited when I saw that he had a margarita machine in his restaurant. Life doesn't get better than that. So buckle up. Here we go on the road. My guest this week grew up in College Station, Texas, and graduated from Texas A&M, home of the Aggies football team. After graduating, he moved to Dallas, where he and his wife, Ashley, founded various companies, including their own clothing brand, a dating app, and a genetic counseling software company. Today, you can find this dude on the high road in Chiswick, serving up super tasty tacos and burritos. You're on the road with Chuck Kramer, Mr. California Wine. And my guest this week is Richard Berghardt, owner de Grande Tex-Mex Restaurant in Chiswick, London. Richard, really good to see you, and thanks for being on the road with me this week. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Richard, you're an American living in London, just like me, but you're originally from Dallas, Texas. What brought you to the UK? So my wife works for a company called Stitch Fix. It's like a remote styling kind of a company. She was running the Dallas styling region, got asked to come over here and launch the same here. So we decided to, something we always kind of wanted to do, so decided to make the jump. You've been here now for what, two years? Yep, about two years and a few months now. So coming from Dallas, what's the biggest adjustment for you living in uh, London? I think... The winter times are are kind of challenging. It, it actually, you'll have colder days in Dallas than you'll have here, but just the darkness of, um, you know, having, you know, maybe s- seven hours of of something that looks kind of like sun, but it never is quite clear for, for several months is tough. And I think, you know, initially moving from a city you've lived in for a long time, lots of friends, family nearby to going to a new place where kind of all of that is starting over. That was initially kind of challenging, but that, you know, over time is, is certainly, certainly better now and we feel pretty settled now. Yeah. Sun deficiency is a big thing for me as uh, as well and the heat that normally comes with it, but you know, it's a great city and you make, ch- you make, you make sacrifices or you make changes and you adjust, right? And it's a beautiful city though. Yeah. It's a lot better when you can uh, jump off to uh, some tropical location or someplace in Europe on the weekends, but that's been made this year a little bit more challenging than normal even. Yeah, no, this year has been absolutely nuts, but you're right. Living in London, yeah, it's an easy hop over to Spain, to France, and you know, I think we'll get back there in 2021. We'll just take our uh, vaccination packs and tequila shots with us um, to get over there successfully. You know, 2020 has been a crazy and an unprecedented year for all of us. However, in a year when the majority of restaurants are on the ropes, you've managed to successfully open, hands down, the best Tex-Mex restaurant in West London, possibly London in general, um, right here in Chiswick. The name of the restaurant's called De Grande, and whoever hasn't eaten at De Grande, I have to say that you have to get there right now and grab some lunch, grab some dinner. But this business is thriving. So I had to ask you, first of all, were you absolutely nuts and mad to open a restaurant during a lockdown? What was your inspiration to not only open a restaurant, but open a really, really good Tex-Mex restaurant? Uh, You know, yeah, I mean, it felt kind of crazy, but unhealthy risk tolerance is something that you kind of, kind of, 
have, I think, if you're willing to start up different businesses and stuff. So that's that was present. And we'd always thought like takeaway and delivery was meant to be a big part of the business regardless of lockdown. So we figured that it would give us a chance to kind of get our feet under us and figured that part of the business out um, while we waited for the world to to open open back up. And, and fortunately that really worked well. There was, it didn't take long for people to be very tired of their own cooking and sourdough experiments and want something different. Um, and we were able to kind of step into a void where unfortunately lots of other restaurants weren't even open. And so the competition was really low. Um, as far as opening a Mexican restaurant, generally speaking, you know, living in Texas your whole life, I don't think people necessarily understand how big a part of your life Tex-Mex food is uh, in Texas. It's not Mexican food. It's it's definitely has a lot of um, origins there, but it's really much, it's kind of its own thing. Um, and going out for fajitas and queso and margaritas is as big a part of, of life in Texas as, as anything else you might might think of as being core to that culture. And so moving here, you know, like I think many people have experienced when they move away from home, there's comfort foods and things that remind you of home. And so you go out looking for them to, to find them, to, to have that back in your, in your routine, in your life. And then just realize that you're going around London and really spending a lot of time, it really didn't exist. There's the Mexican scene overall is pretty weak um, here compared to obviously compared to the U.S., um, but even compared to some other some other places around the world. Um, but Tex-Mex was just completely missing. I don't think there's an authentic tasting queso anywhere in London, at least not that we've that we've found. And so, kind of one thing led to another. I was at a wonderful job, but it was working remotely. It was on video calls in the evenings on San Francisco time. And so, you know, definitely was kind of wondering what was going to be next if we were going to live here a long time. And uh, this this gaping hole in the market uh, gave my wife enough confidence to let us do something kind of crazy. Going back to Dallas, you have no restaurant experience. No, not as a not as an operator, other than bussing tables and waiting tables and stuff in college. But most of our friend group in Dallas is in the industry. Um, most of our travel and and budget <laughs> went to went to to drinks and food and um, those experiences. And so we've always had a big love for it and always wanted to do something, but had never seen an opportunity that looked unique enough to actually take the risk. Your USP is really good Mexican or Tex-Mex food here in Chiswick. But like I said, you know, you have to. You know, you'd have to go far into London to get decent uh, Mexican food or Tex-Mex food. So the learning curve must have been extremely uh, steep for you. So who did you lean on anybody or any individual or company consultant to help you get this started? So early on, just figuring out if we could reproduce some of the items with the ingredients here, I worked with a, a talented Mexican chef to kind of do an initial kind of stab at some of some of the dishes. And we solved some problems and some things weren't solved until we found our um, found our real a real chef. But I knew that I didn't know what I was doing at all. And so I went out and found a wonderful GM named Hannah um, that is um, has launched many successful restaurants. And so she was able to come in and provide that, uh, fix that uh, huge lack of knowledge on that side, and then found uh, a chef named Jimmy that um, was really, um, really kind of uh, open to trying this new kind of food and doing it the way it was supposed to do. And he, in his own right, is an incredible chef. So had those two people, once they were in place, um, the knowledge was there. And so we just had to had to build a team around it and, and it's worked well so far. Growing up in California, like you and um, 
uh, Texas. We share a border with uh, Mexico. I actually lived in Mexico City in the 1990s. And, you know, as a kid, we had a place called Garduno's where we'd go for tacos, rice, beans, and, you know, stuff like that. And it's still open. I mean, it's amazing. It's like, you know, 55 years later, and this place is still open. But for me, I mean, obviously, you know, have some, you have some really good things on the menu. And I always go back for the soft shell tacos. But for me, it starts with the tortilla, that corn tortilla. So you're making that on site? So almost everything in the restaurant is made on site. The corn tortilla is one of the one of the exceptions. So to make a corn tortilla correctly, you know, really authentically, you're importing corn. It's going through this process of being broken down, and then it's milled, and then it's pressed. It's quite the uh, quite the process to do it at scale, at the volume that we'd have to have to go through. So we found, strangely enough, in Dublin, there's a company that makes very very authentic corn tortillas. In uh, Dublin. In Dublin, yeah. So wow. the company is called Blanco Nino, uh, which means white boy in Spanish, which is what the uh, Mexicans apparently called him when he spent time there. Uh, and so he started a company, uh, kind of fell in love with corn tortillas, started a company in Dublin. And that's where our corn tortillas and tortilla chips come from. We will be making our own flour tortillas. Um, in Tex-Mex, fresh flour tortillas is kind of the core to uh, good fajitas. And, um, and a, yeah, flour, well, and a good burrito as well. Yeah, exactly. And so we, it's a, it's a long story that might bore anybody that's listening to this podcast, but we still don't have the, uh, the right power to run this, uh, run this machine. Um, it takes, takes so much amperage that we've actually used up all the available power and um, that comes to the restaurant. So we still got uh, it's probably another couple months before we're doing it the way we want to do it on the flour tortilla side, but. Well, when you walk in, you got the margarita machine, you got great beers, you got the Modellas, you got the Pacificos. A friend of ours, well, you know, Daryl Coates, you converted him over to Mexican food just by starting out with those chips because those tortilla chips. So you start with your homemade salsas and your tortilla chips. And I think you just like, well, everybody over just with the chips, right? Yeah, the, the queso is uh, is a uniquely addicting uh, item and um and is the thing if you you know I'm on all these expat Facebook groups and stuff like that, and every couple of months someone comes on and asks where to get where to get queso, and so now we've given them a place to a place to go, and that uh, fortunately has found popularity among the uh, you know the British uh, customers as well. It wasn't something that just our American customers like, and but you know cheese spice. Good tortilla chips. There's really nothing, nothing wrong with that. So, and going back to Blanco Nino, I can't get over that up in uh, up in Ireland. I got a couple yeah. Irish friends are going to get a kick out of that. So that's um that's that's fantastic. That's that's really that's really cool. You've not only opened a very successful business, but you seem to have thrived throughout both lockdowns. Tell me, when did you open the restaurant? In May, early May. In early May. Okay. And I know during lockdown, one, you, you uh, refurbished the restaurant. How many covers? How many people can you seat in one go? So it kind of just depends on what the rules are at when you're at a meter or so distance between tables. It depends on how you have the tables set up and if you're allowed to use the bar or not. So there's been a number of different iterations of what we can and can't do in the restaurant. We can seat somewhere between 40 and maybe 50 if we're able to use the outside space and the weather's good and stuff like that. Your takeaway business gets you through lockdowns one and two. I'm still convinced this is going to be a Netflix movie at some point down the road. 
what part of the business is dining in versus uh, takeaway? Takeaway is roughly probably around 30% of the business today. We are on Deliveroo, which is a, you know, one of these delivery, uh, delivery apps now, and that business is growing. I would not be surprised to see it start to catch the dine-in business over time. It kind of has an unlimited ceiling, whereas you only have so many seats in the restaurant. So we, we expect it to be an increasingly large part of the, of the business. In terms of takeaway, how far away are, are people ordering? I mean, is, is, is Chiswick, West London your base? Or are you going far out with this, with this food? Well, we, we have Deliveroo's radius is a couple miles, right? But during lockdown, we've had people come from East London. We've had people walk seven miles. I guess there wasn't much else to do, but it was pretty extreme to get some queso and margaritas. Uh, and we, we are trying to figure out creative ways to service up to five miles or further um, using our own drivers or courier services and stuff like that. So it's a pretty long range with enough notice. We will get it to you somehow or another. With these lockdowns come opportunities, you know, rents are, rents are coming down. What's next steps for DeGrande? You got a successful operation or business here in Chiswick. Are you looking to expand? Yeah. Yeah, we, we very much are. There's, um, We've already started looking at sites in the Notting Hill um, kind of area. We are undecided as of today if we're going to go find another big site that we can do both or if we try to find something to focus on the delivery business and expand the range a little bit. These cloud kitchen setups now are actually pretty interesting. It's not a shipping container in a parking lot. They're actually really nice and well done. Um, And so that may allow us to increase the amount of people that can try the food um, rapidly, but but yes, within a couple of years, we'll have we'll have several locations of different types. Great news! So, how would you sum up? What's your secret to success? I mean, having having a food that people are looking for and is is objectively good that fits a hole in the market is definitely part of it. But I think what that's that's a motivation for people to come in and try it. But I think one of the main reasons people come back a lot is we've really focused on hiring really good people providing great customer service and making it a lot of fun uh, to be in the restaurant. And I'm really, I'm proud of that. The reviews say that with uh, with consistency and it kind of makes it a fun place to work and a fun place to, to have dinner. So yeah, I think those are the two things, the food, the food itself, and then the service you get while you're, while you're there. Food hands down is great, great drinks, and you have a fantastic uh, team there. So yeah, you know, really good uh, combination for, uh, for success. So you've got a margarita machine, which I absolutely love. You got Comodelos, you got Pacificos for your beer. Uh, take me through your wine offering. So we have Federalist. We have a Napa, kind of a California style Cabernet uh, and Chardonnay, which is uh, which has been which has been good. We have a lot of American customers. Um, probably twenty to thirty percent of our customers are American, which is a lot larger than the percentage they exist in the population here. So being able to kind of give them something that they recognize in flavor and um, uh, is is useful. We have an Albarino. Um, we have a Grenache uh, Grenache blend, and we're kind of looking at how we want to expand the wine list over time. It's um, for takeaway. Interestingly, we almost see nothing in wine. We don't see people buying the wine, um, but for dine in, it really is something that people that people kind of expect. And so, um, what we're offering now has has worked well, um, but I think it's something that we'll kind of expand on. I mean, I've had the Albarino in, the, in there before. Obviously, I'm uh, 
I am uh, I'm partial to your Federalist wines. Um, and I just yeah, find... Some dude came in and said we had to try it. And we <laughs> did. <I'm sorry. laughs> yeah, who, who was that guy? I think... I, I think. Know, I think he walked out of the Italian job and started selling that stuff to you. Yeah, I think that's right. <laughs> Between the two, do you have a favorite, you know, Chardonnay or Cab? I mean, what goes, can you just give me like a pairing matchup of, you know, an example for, for the Chard and the Cabernet Sauvignon, the Federalist? I mean, they're both big examples of their, of their varietals. <laughs> and so they, they kind of work well with all the spice and the cheese and the, and the fat and stuff that's in some of the dishes. Um, I think that, you know, it takes kind of a big red to stand up to some of those flavors and the Federalist Cab Cab does that. And then that buttery, oaky style of Chardonnay is kind of, it seems to be kind of polarizing. People either really are seeking that out or people really don't like that. And they want the stainless steel kind of uh, more, you know, less less going on kind of crisper kind of flavor. But but both seem to work well with, you know, a menu that has a lot of a lot of meats and a lot of spice and a lot of a lot of cheese. I was in there the the other week doing a a team training. I think uh, as a result of that, Giuseppe won a 50 pound uh, visa voucher for selling the most Federalist wines during the month of October, which was fantastic. And you had a chance to try the Federalist bourbon barrel aged cab. It's aged in uh, bourbon barrels for six months. What do you think of that wine? So I I like it, and we we ended up selling through. We got I think we got might have even been a mistake. We got we got several bottles of it from a from a distributor, and ended up selling through them. It's kind of part of the larger discussion about what we want on the wine list though. It is, it kind of needs to be a compact wine list. And so do we need to have three separate from the same brand and then two caps that might be, might be verging on the redundant side. So we might have to make a decision between one or the, one or the other, but they're both, they're both really good. I I like that. I like those bourbon aged, uh, bourbon cask wine. So. Well, listen, uh, Two out of three is great. Um, I'm, I'm just I'm just happy with the fact that you got the Chardonnay and the Cab on the list. Last couple of times I've been in, uh, your taquitos have been a, a recent addition to the uh, to the menu, and those things are absolutely gorgeous. Anything else um, that we can look forward to new that you're gonna that you're gonna be adding on? We are we're playing with some different kind of larger cuts of meat to make kind of fajita feast out of. And so we've, we have launched one that's a whole uh, spatchcocked and smoked chicken. Um, and then we serve it with all of the setup that you'd make fajitas out of. And it's really, really good. Um, now we are playing with with doing kind of a cochinita pibil style pork, bone in, maybe, maybe shank or, or larger as you know, probably leaning towards stuff for in-restaurant dining, but um, where you kind of have this family style, go in and pull meat off of this larger, larger piece, really delicious stuff. So, um, well, those pibils, like a shredded, a pibil shredded pork. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it'll fall right off the bone. Should be delicious. Fantastic. Well, listen, Richard, I want to thank you for being on the road with me this week. Um, and I have to tell you, other than the Los Angeles Dodgers winning the World Series this year, you opening to Grande's been a highlight. I mean, top three of 2020 for me. So I want to thank you for opening to Grande here in Chiswick. And like I said, anybody who hasn't had this Mexican food or this Tex-Mex food, you got to go. Um, but before you go, I'm going to pull over and I'm going to ask you a few quick questions. I call this the Ben and Q&A. So just give me your first answer. You ready to go? Yes. What was your dream job growing up? I was going to be a mechanical engineer. And then I started going to school for that and realized I did not like going to school quite that much. What's your go-to drink after hours? 
I like a lot of different things, classic cocktails and stuff, but probably just a, just a glass of Isla whiskey would be my most common. Any celebrity, living or dead, who would you want to invite for your soft shell tacos at Grande? I think it'd be a lot of fun to hang out with Anthony Bourdain. I would be, I'd be nervous if he didn't like the food, that'd be devastating, but it would, uh, it'd be fun either way. So I'm sure he'd like those tacos. Money, no object. What California wine would you open for dinner tonight? Uh, the fir- very first time we went to Napa, went to a small vineyard, like 25 acre called Kiever. Um, really love their stuff. And they have some kind of estate wines that are older. Um, that would be quite, quite expensive, but there's a, there's some nostalgia there for us. And it's a, a wonderful example of an Napa cab. So that'd probably be, that'd be on the list. Kiever sounds fantastic. Well, listen, Richard, that was awesome. And I want to thank you for being on the road with me this week. Thanks for having me, Chuck. I want to thank Richard Burgard for being on the road with me this week. And who would have thought in a million years that a dude from Dallas now in London, we'll be buying his corn tortillas from a guy up in Ireland. It's crazy, yet it works. Because these corn tortillas make those tacos so flavorful. To grande in Spanish means the big D, which is Dallas's nickname. Because everything is big in Texas. Richard, Hannah, and the team at DeGrande serve up big burritos, killer chips, and homemade salsa with Mexican beers and margaritas. And they've recently added fajitas and taquitos to the menu. DeGrande is your Tex-Mex place to go to in London. And if you're in London for the holidays, make sure that this restaurant is on your dining Christmas wish list. It's time for Wines of the Week. And this week, it's a no-brainer. The Federalist Charnay and Cabernet Sauvignon are my picks this week. And they're on the wine list at DeGrande. The Federalist is an American craft wine that pays tribute to the founding fathers of the United States. And the Statue of Liberty graces the front label of the Federalist Charnay, a gorgeous Charnay from Mendocino, California. Lady Liberty stands tall for liberty, freedom, and is a match made in heaven with the Grande's chicken taquitos and their shrimp ceviche. Benjamin Franklin, the original American, is the face of the Federalist Cabernet Sauvignon. This cab from Lodi, California is a cracker of a red and is a winning combination with the Grande's beef brisket tacos and steak fajitas. Now it's time for this week's fun fact. And did you know that the term Tex-Mex was first used as an abbreviation for the Texas-Mexican Railway that began operating in South Texas in 1877? I didn't know it either. They must have hauled some really good frijoles and enchiladas across that Tex-Mex border, though. Thank you for tuning in. I'll be back next week on the road pairing my favorite Christmas movies and California wine. If we can't hop on a flight to the Golden State, I'll bring California to you. Keep tuning in and leave a review. Until next week, on the road with me, Chuck Kramer, Mr. California Wine. Take it easy. (laughs) 